Welcome back, Warriors. Quay Tansei Sego Anibuju. Quay Nin Deluisi Pampometer, and I'm the host of this show, The Warrior Life. This podcast is a show about living the warrior life, a lifestyle that focuses on decolonizing our minds, bodies, and spirits, while at the same time revitalizing our cultures, traditions, laws, and governing practices. It's also about asserting, living, and defending our sovereignty all over our traditional territories. And we come from all different nations and cultures and backgrounds, and we contribute to our nations in a variety of ways. On this Warrior Life podcast, we've talked to so many amazing Indigenous peoples in what is now known as Canada and the United States. We've heard inspiring stories from grassroots land defenders, water protectors, and human rights advocates, as well as educators, writers, lawyers, as well as people who represent us as actors and singers and even chefs. For so long, our voices were not represented, but this is changing every day. The more we can amplify each other's voices as Native peoples, the more we can help inspire all of us to continue our resistance, our resurgence, and our cultural revitalization, whether we're First Nations, Inuit, or Métis. Today's guest is someone who is truly dedicated to the well-being of her people and works in an amazing number of roles to help protect and promote Inuit culture, languages, and traditions. And when I say many roles, I mean many roles. Nancy Mike is an Inuk researcher, educator, nurse, accordionist, throat singer, visual artist, and author. And just in case that wasn't enough, she even co-founded her own band. I mean, that's like, wow. Welcome so much uh, to the show, Nancy. Well, thank you. I feel really honored that you're taking the time to chat with us because honestly, with all of those roles, I don't know how you have enough time. You seem to be involved in a hundred <laughs> things at once. But before we jump into it, because I have some really key questions I want to ask you, maybe you could introduce yourself the way that you like to, you and your community. Hey, Nancy, Mike, my name is Nancy Makituk Mike, and I currently live here in Iqaluit, Nunavut. Uh, originally from Pannaktuk, uh, which is north of Iqaluit. And I I moved to Iqaluit, I guess, soon, right around when I wanted to do my grade 11 and 12. So I've been here since. And I go back home to Pannaktuk each year uh, to visit my family. But I currently live here in Nerungok, Apex, just a little drive away from the, the downtown core part of the Khaluit. And uh, I have three young daughters who who are my my heart and soul. Everything that I do is for them and for, for our culture and language. So yeah, that that's kind of my introduction. Just You're involved in so much, I hardly know where to start, but maybe I'll just start out chronologically and I'll let you take it from there because for looking at your background, it doesn't seem like you just had one solitary path that you engaged on. Your journey seems to have branched out into a whole bunch of really awesome directions. And, you know, maybe you could share a little bit about your life's journey and, you know, how you got to where you are today. Yeah, um, 
I I was adopted to my mother, uh, Ina, from her younger sister. And so I, I was brought up in a large family. And growing up, one of the things that I really noticed was that colonization had a huge impact on our people on so many levels. And when I seen Inuit especially um, sometimes expressing that they're incapable of doing certain things, that made me feel like I needed to prove myself that I'm, I am a capable person, I'm, I am a capable human being. And so I think that brought me to having so many interests in a lot of different things that I do in my life because I kept on wanting to say, you know, we are strong, we are Inuit, we've lived through some, one of the most uh, harsh, harshest things in life, you know, like living in an environment alone in a place as cold as here. I, I think that like that, that always brings me back to how amazing our ancestors were and how strong they were. And so I kept on wanting to, bring that back and wanting to see other inmates to thrive and to be successful and to be proud of themselves. And so I think this is kind of where I got into a lot of the things that I wanted to do uh, and that I continue to do. Um, not only that, like I, I have many interests in many different things and constantly wanting to, wanting to do something new and <clears throat> I think that when I think back to it, I, I've thought lots about like, why do I constantly change my, you know, artistic ways or I'm always wanting to move or do something. And, and I thought about it previously and I was like, maybe it's because our, our ancestors lived like a semi-nomadic lifestyle where they traveled following the hunting grounds and the animals and the seasons, whatnot. So that's kind of how I, I saw it, I guess, myself, because I'm constantly doing something new and, <clears throat> and and not because I'm not wanting to do it, but mostly because I have all these, I don't know, wanting to do certain like different things in life. And so that's kind of how I, I, I got into these uh, different things. Well, one of the uh, things that you're engaged in is, you know, you're a nurse. And I'm wondering if you can share with our listeners a little bit about, you know, how you become a nurse. Like, what's the educational path, uh, especially in the North, where there's less mm -hmm. universities, for example? Yeah, I, my late father was a full-time hunter. He spent a lot of his time out on the land and, and we'd, we'd be camping with him. Uh, months at a time, especially in the fall time, which was when we'd be caribou hunting. But my mom, mom, my mom had to uh, stay and not stay, but she had to find a job so that we can financially be stable. And she worked at the health center in in Bandito when I was ever since I could remember. And every time I visited her at her work, I. Uh, always thought that she was a nurse <laughs> it's kind of funny because um I would go in and you know play around with the nurses and they'd show me you know different different things like you know they they always loved giving me stickers or band-aids things like that and and when my when my mom was working there I constantly thought about like I want to be a nurse one day 
And so <clears throat> when I finished high school, I ended up going to Ottawa to take the Nunavut Suvuniksavut program, which is a Inuit studies program based in Ottawa. And when I took that, uh, it kind of made me realize what I really wanted to do in life. And and one of the big things was like, I really enjoy helping people. And then, so I came back to Iqaluit and took the nursing program here at the Nunavut Arctic College, which is affiliated with uh, uh, Dalhousie University in Halifax. And so that's kind of how I got into nursing. It, it definitely wasn't easy. It, it was. It's a four year program, but it took me six years to do as I had uh, my two older daughters throughout the six years. So it's it's been a journey. Like it's it's really amazing to be to become a nurse and to be working in a hospital with patients that are Inuit. And when when I speak to them in Inuktitut, they're they're always in awe and like just so amazed um, to be able to get the care they need in their own language. So I think there there are many many things that I absolutely love about nursing, but that's kind of how how I've gone through it. Well, the cultural aspect must be so significant. I mean, First Nations and Inuit people have been saying for so long, we need our own people representing us in everywhere, but especially as doctors and nurses and technicians and home support workers and all of the people, especially in the health fields, because health healthcare can be uh, racist, it can be discriminatory, it can be overwhelming, especially when you're in a crisis. And so to have a friendly face and someone who can speak your language, I can only imagine what that must mean, uh, especially for people that are in crisis or elders who may not speak both languages. Do you find a lot of that, that people, um, especially the elders, may not speak both languages? Yeah, majority of the elders actually don't speak English. And so they're unilingual speakers. And when, as soon as you walk into their hospital room and you speak to them in Inuktitut, they just light up and they they just relax and like you can tell their body language or you know their body just relaxes and gets comfortable. Like it's it's so so nice to see. And you're right, like we we need better access to healthcare up here. But I often say this that even though we may be seeing a lot of negative negative things. Uh, in in our health field, I all, I I think that we're also on you know on the good side of things because Nunavut being colonized so much later than the rest of Canada, we we've we've had that time to to really get things right and do it right, and I feel that our our people are doing so many good things in our communities that. Uh, are a little maybe more advanced than you know some parts of Canada because we because of um, us being colonized a bit later and you know it it was it's it's not all good obviously like I can't mm-hmm. say that everything we do in our communities is all happy and amazing but I I just like to acknowledge that Inuit are doing such good amazing things in our communities that. I think we we tend to focus on the negatives and <clears throat> and I I absolutely love seeing seeing Inuit thrive in in the work that they do within within our people within their families within themselves 
it's it's really good. Your point about acknowledging that and celebrating that and lifting up the positive that is going on so that people are aware of what is the good that's going on and how can this be replicated in other communities and other places. And I think that's an important part of amplifying different voices of people in different areas so that we can see that. And one of the things that um, I found really inspiring by all of your work is inspiring, but it's the fact that you work with and reach out to Inuit of all ages. So you're not just focused in one particular area. And one of the areas that you work in is uh, community and family health um, as a researcher for important projects. And, and you do workshops targeted at things like sexual health and healthy relationships for Inuit youth. Um, can you share a little bit about this work and why it's so important to work with youth on these particular issues? Yeah, uh, I work as a research associate uh, with Kauyagakti Health Research Center here in Inakaluit. And you're, like you said, that one of the programs that we run is uh, the Miga Ikumayop Sexual Health uh, Training. And Timiga Ikumayop means my body, the light within. And this was developed uh, because the community recognized that there was a need for uh, sexual health training. And we didn't want to go towards, you know, where, you know, like a nurse working in public health might go into a high school and talk about, you know, condoms or uh, sexuality or the anatomy and physiology of uh, our reproductive system. So this Timika Ikumayok was more geared or made towards the idea of working with youth in an arts-based environment where we can talk freely and openly and have a safe space to talk about uh, healthy relationships and sexual health and um, anti-bullying or, you know, these different topics. And one of the amazing stories that I've heard throughout, you know, when we hold these trainings with youth is one of one of the artists in town, Black Luke Williamson Bathory, uh, is, is, uh, is an amazing artist and she does um, Greenlandic mask dancing, Uyamnuk, and she'll come in to do the workshop with us and she'll do the the mask, um, like putting the, ma- the, the makeup on to do the mask dancing and talk about uh, sexuality and then also use Inuit storytelling, like integrating it into uh, teaching what healthy relationships mean or what love is and how we show love or, you know, there, there's many different uh, things we talk about in this program, but uh, it's, it's arts-based, which, which is what I love because we, we not only do the uyamnik, we also do music, we do storytelling, um, we've done visual arts as well, and we're constantly, constantly learning on how to do it, but youth often have such good feedback uh, after taking the, the workshop. And, and one story that I was about to tell was when there was one boy, uh, he was very shy, uh, didn't, didn't talk much throughout the workshop. And then when Lakuluk did her mask dancing and like they transformed themselves into, 
you know, whether it was like a polar bear or a wolf or any any type of animal, uh, they they uh, had asked them to, you know, start acting out into what they want to become. And so when that when that boy put put that mask on, um, he he just transformed into a a, a different human being almost you know like just being able to express after putting that mask on I thought like that that was the most amazing story to to see and hear um knowing that youth when they're given the the tools or resources to be able to express themselves they will do it and and so that's one of the things I love about this this uh, program that we run at, at QHRC. Well, that's exactly, you know, one of the reasons why we need to celebrate these projects and initiatives and things that are working, that are culturally based, um, clearly artistically based, but actually are effective, you know, are safe, familiar ways to reach youth who you know, are not always reachable because of issues that they're going through, especially if they're in their teen years or they've had difficulties. So that's that's a really good news story about the important work that you're doing up there. Um, you know, and you've just you're involved in so many important things. But one of the one of the ways which you have been contributing to uh, Inuit culture and community uh, is you dedicate some of your time to supporting Inuit organizations like Pagtuti. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that organization? You know, what it does, who they represent, and some of, you know, maybe some examples of the important work that they do, because I understand that you're a board member there. Pagtuti Inuit Women of Canada do, do work around uh, Inuit women issues that we see in our communities and um i think that it's it's so important for for inuit women to be heard and to have a voice and so one of the reasons why i wanted to join this board was uh mostly having understanding of of being a woman and having three children who are girls and who are going to become women one day. I, I felt uh, that it was very important for me to take on this role and to be able to contribute to a, such an amazing team uh, who, who work, you know, from many different parts of, of uh, northern parts of Canada or even from rural areas such as Ottawa or Yellowknife. Um, and so one of the things that... Pogduti recently announced was that uh, they'll be working with the RCMP uh, to develop some um, content to support uh, Inuit women, and I and I found that so amazing. Um, and one of one of our other board members had lost uh, a daughter with, you know, not having access to the right. Um, I don't know what the term would be, but <clears throat> there wasn't a RCMP detachment in one of the communities that daughter the daughter had been murdered in, and I and I found that very touching um, <clears throat> to to see the mother be a part of the board and um, just 
just heart heartbreaking and amazing at the same time. And I, I was like, how, how would I even go about, you know, doing this? And, but women like her are so inspiring and I, I feel very privileged to be able to take part in, in being a board member with Pogtuti. No, you think about all of the work that we do, you know, whether it's on a First Nation level or Inuit, it's, you know, we've got nation-based work, we've got local community-based work, and then we have work with, you know, all different groups. It could be elders, youth, women, children, um, men, like you, you name it, there's all different groups. And I think that, um, you know, Pauktuchi has, has stood up and been a very strong voice for Inuit women on a whole bunch of issues. I mean, they were very strong during the National Inquiry into Murder and Missing Indigenous Women and Girls. Um, they're, they're very vocal, and I think that shows a really strong leadership force for Inuit women and to have their own voice. So not to be represented necessarily under a big umbrella organization, which tends to happen that, you know, represents all native people but because we're all so different and we have different conditions and different histories and so um mm -hmm. you know your role on that board is is very very important you know that's a it's a contribution that you're making so so far you know we've talked about your professional work and your research and workshops and the contributions you're making to Paktuktik but somehow along the way of all of this you've also found space or made space to express yourself artistically in terms of, you know, co-founding your own band, being an accordionist, a throat singer, a visual artist. I mean, th that just amazes me. And, and I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about some of the, you know, the different ways in which you've engaged your artistic creativity, because I definitely want to hear about this band. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, I joined the Jerry Cans band back in 2011, I believe it was. And we, we started, we started uh, by incorporating throat singing into more of like modern style music, which, which had been done previously uh, as well by other artists, but it was fairly new I, to, to be incorporating throat singing, but uh, we, we wrote songs in Inuktitut. Uh, majority of our songs are written in Inuktitut, which uh, I absolutely loved about. And and throughout the years, like I've had opportunities, in, you know, tra to travel the world um, and be on like big stages, and and not many have that opportunity. You know, like it's I feel I feel very privileged to, to have been you know a part of this and. To, to be artistically, you know, engaged in, in this way. And I, I, it, it became a part of who I am. Like it, I, one of the reasons why I got into, you know, being vocal about um, our issues, whether it be like Inuit issues or contemporary uh, today's issues, what, like, I, I really enjoyed using uh, music and performing uh, to talk about some of these issues and to to encourage people to learn about you know indigenous history or indigenous people in in their areas and so it became a big passion I think for me to 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 speak openly about uh, 
what I wanted to speak about, whether it was um, the issues we face, whether it was about Inuit culture, our language, uh, my own personal experiences uh, with my my late father. Um, there were there were many many amazing moments uh, with music for sure, and I more recently I I kind of stepped away from the jerry cans and have been focusing more on um, being an independent artist and working from home and focusing on my kids. And so um, a lot of my work is now more remote stuff, especially because of COVID-19 impacting a lot of our, you know, possible like opportunities in <clears throat> touring or traveling. So that's kind of, um, I guess we're taking a break <laughs> if you, if you want to say it that way. But um, more recently, I, I actually collaborated with a tribe called Red uh, and recorded Mamak Duk, uh, one of our songs. And, and a tribe called Red had, you know, made it more of a dance, dance uh, tune. And, and it, it was for one of, uh, I don't know if you know, Naila Inukshuk, who is a, uh, filmmaker uh, based in Toronto. Uh, she recently, she's working on a film called Slashback, and so this this song will will be used in that film. And that was a really exciting moment um, to be able to collaborate with a tribe called Red, who who I absolutely love and uh, look up to as well for for their work that they do in music. Um, and then. About a year ago, uh, we were supposed to be heading out on tour with Tanya Tagak, uh, and and that got postponed as well. So that's that's been hard. Um, I never deleted my, um, you know, my calendar, uh, and so every, once in a while, I'll get I'll get a notification um, touring with Tanya on these dates or. I would have been in Germany about a month ago, or you know, the, these things that um are not happening due to COVID-19 and so it's, it's a bit hard that way but um we we I've been finding ways to be more creative at, at home as well whether it's you know sewing or painting uh and I do a bit of songwriting uh here as well mostly lyrically because I don't have um many like not no access to like our actual recording space at this time. So it, it's a bit hard that way too, but yeah, it's, I do find it, you know, it's, it's a bit easier to um, deal with the things that are coming with COVID-19, you know, whether it's not being able to travel or not being able to visit family, it's, it's been, an interesting way to express what I'm feeling uh, through different uh, ways of doing art, I guess. Well, what exciting opportunities too. So, you know, having had the experience of being with a band in your own language, having had the, you know, experience of um, collaborating with a tribe called Red, because we're all huge fans of a tribe called Red and, and, you know, potentially touring with Tanya in the future. I mean, who doesn't want to go to an event that Tanya's holding and to know that you would be collaborating with her? Like that would just be so amazing. It's one of those post pandemic things that we want to do. Go see a tribe called red with you there and go see Tanya with you there. I mean, that's, 
you know, all of that's kind of like work in the making, but, you know, we're all kind of having to deal with this pandemic in, in our own ways. Um, what, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about specifically, one of the reasons why I asked you to be on this podcast is because um, you have written a book that, and it was something that Paktuktik was, was promoting. You were doing a live reading. Um, you wrote a children's book called uh, Elise B and Her Baby Seagull, and it won the 2017 finalist for the Four Word Indies Award for picture books. I mean, first of all, congratulations. But can you tell us about this book? Like, what inspired you to write this book, what it's based on, and, you know, some of the other bits and pieces about, you know, who did the artwork and all of that stuff? Um, <clears throat> Elisabi is actually one of my middle names. I have eight names, and <laughs> naming is such a beautiful part of our culture. Uh, when when someone passes away, the newborn babies that are born, they're they're usually named after that person, and it becomes a a whole um, like a grieving process, or you know, being able to tell stories of that person to the to the child as they grow up is is a way of teaching and keeping knowledge. But um, Elisapi was my um, grandfather's aunt, and and so when she passed away, my my mom named me Elisapi after her. And when I wrote this book, I I thought about you know using different names, but I, I really stuck with Elisapi uh, for this book specifically. Um, and growing up, uh, my, my father, my late father, Levy, used to uh, bring home baby seagulls or, you know, ducklings sometimes. Uh, and and whenever he brought them home, I'd take care of them and learn how to nurture them, learn how to feed them, learn how to look, learn their their environment and how they, how they do things. And this one seagull that I had as a kid, um, just we were best friends like I, I took care of it and would feed it my my dad taught me like which which foods they like and then he my dad would bring me to the shoreline or to the that we call um and you know collect uh, collect uh, sculpins for it or whenever my dad cut up a seal after being out hunting he'd cut up some slices of like seal fat that I would feed, feed the seagull. And so one day I, I went out and taught it how to fly by throwing it in the air and it, it would fly around and then come right back. And then I decided to put a little ribbon on the, on the foot to, to identify it from the other seagulls. And so that, that was kind of the thing, like one of the things that I really enjoyed. I, I spent a lot of my childhood like outdoors playing with friends and uh, hunting or camping with my family and, and, and having these animals as pets at, like have taught me so many different things in, about life, whether it was about grieving or um, having, you know, a, a connection or a relationship um, and being able to care for an animal, how to respect the animal, how to respect the land, how to like 
there's so many teachings that come with these um, pet birds. Uh, some some may see it as a bad thing because you know it, it's an animal, and but I really see it as a, a way of um, teaching children about many different aspects of our culture. So that's kind of how I decided that I would write a book about it because it was one of my favorite memories growing up. And I wanted my children to to remember the story and and to be able to um, have that knowledge of what we did as kids. Because, you know, my children are not living the life that I lived either, even though we're, we're, I'm instilling those values and the language in them. Um, it's, it's, a, it's different, obviously, because, you know, my father was an amazing hunter and 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 my mother an amazing mom to all, all of my family you know everyone calls her mom because she's basically the mom of the family <laughs> and so yeah it's 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 uh it's a cute book i i would say and i i enjoy reading it to children and i've done quite a few of them you know book readings online since COVID hit, because that seems to be the thing now, you know, we, we go on zoom and, <laughs> and, and do these things, but I, I definitely enjoy it. And, and my kids love it too. And, and other kids too. I, I, I'm happy that they enjoy it as well. Well, it's such a sweet book and the illustrations are so beautiful. How did that come mm -hmm. about in terms of, you know, finding someone to collaborate with for the illustrations to get it the way you would like it? I actually looked through a few books that I really liked that I would read to my children. And one of them was actually written by my late, uh, sorry, my cousin, Nadia Mike, who is also an amazing author. Uh, she has a few books. Um, children's books as well and one of hers had uh Sh Charlene Chua as the artist as well as the illustrator and so and I absolutely loved the artwork that she did so I decided that I would like to use or ask her to you know illustrate my book as well because they're so awesome <laughs> oh here you were uh, a finalist for the Forward Indies Award for picture books. I mean, how did that feel? Your, you know, your first children's book and right off the hop, you're a finalist. I honestly always feel so like privileged to be able to do these things. And I think when, when I receive emails or calls that, you know, your book has been selected to be a part of this award ceremony and, and I take it and I don't take it for myself. I honestly take it for my people, you know, for, for our communities, because, you know, I don't do this alone. It's, it's all of us working together and doing things together, you know, talking or discussing things, teaching each other. And so I often like to, you know, bring in my whole community of people, um, into the successes that I that I see or do uh, in my life. Well, that's like a true reflection of the collective nature, you know, of our communities. 
you know, everything from, you know, a mom or an auntie babysitting your kids one day so you can go to a library or, you know, like that's how it was for me. I, I could never say that I did anything by myself. Oh, my goodness, without all the support. So it it's always seems to be a collective effort. And, you know, congratulations mm -hmm. on on that on that because it's so huge and you're going to be impacting not just Inuit children but children from all backgrounds who should be exposed to Inuit culture and Inuit stories. And I mean, that's just amazing. So Nancy, it would be really great if you could read a short excerpt from your book, maybe in your own language, if that's okay. Yeah, I totally can. This is the Elisabeth um, Noyarangalu. And I'll read a short, short version of it. Uh, now, Naligiyaw Marilautok Ilisapimut Ilisatlaw Magu Ilisapikano Pakitiaun ng mga mail Nerititigun Nalatunilo o my unique Ilinertis Simalunu Canuis Kinuis Arnemillo Ilinertis Simalunu Kautamad Ilinari Regami Ilisapi Amit Kahatalautok Twadatunilo Naninasoak to Nuke now Nerititipatunuke now that's so beautiful and it's so great that you have it not just in English but in your own language for your kids and you know to, to help preserve the language because I think that's a key part of you know all the work that we do today is this cultural revitalization mm -hmm. thank you and so the you know obvious question then is there are going to be more books in the future, more children's <laughs> books. <laughs> I have more ideas and I I just haven't taken the time to, you know, make it happen. But, you know, who knows? It, it might happen sooner rather than later, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> With everything that you have going on. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank, thank you for sharing that. I'm, I'm really excited because... I'll be able to share it on, you know, the Warrior Life podcast. People will be able to hear you reading that in your own language, but also the Warrior Kids podcast that we have for kids so that they can hear uh, people from different First Nations cultures, Inuit, Métis cultures, um, and, and language. And part of the Warrior Kids podcast is also providing a focus on learning new words and hearing other languages. And, you know, I think that's that's really important. Um, so thank thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing your background. Uh, but before we let you go, I, I'd really love to hear from you uh, because you're so involved at the community level, at the organizational level. What what you think some of the most urgent Inuit issues are right now uh, that are facing the Inuit that you think our listeners should know about? Because as you probably have noticed, mainstream media doesn't give priority focus to Inuit issues or, or issues in the North generally. I think one of the things like throughout my lifetime that I've seen um, is that we've gone through a time of, you know, figuring out our identity and who we are and then went through through, you know, being proud and becoming proud of who we are and becoming proud of our cultural language, uh, our ways of doing, our values and whatnot. <clears throat> and more recently, I think that we're a bit becoming more comfortable in our, in our spaces that I believe it's time to set boundaries. Um, and, and I'm seeing that quite often 
in in our communities where people are you know speaking up more about what they want or what they don't want and one of the things that that uh is happening currently in you know near pond inlet in 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 further north uh in nunavut is that uh, many hunters and inuit are protesting for the mary river mine um because the mary river uh the mining company is is hoping to expand the mine and inuit are not wanting that because it's it's been affecting um the animals the land and the people and so hunters are out there you know protesting and and standing up for themselves and speaking up and i i truly truly think that is amazing and so proud of inuit being able to do that because we were silenced for so long it seems and so humble that sometimes it's harder to um be more outspoken and so it's it's it feels good and reassuring to to see inuit talking about these issues that we see in our communities and and having having their voices heard and i think that's so important oh it's it's so important i did a podcast last week about this issue and about how inuit voices have um not been given a priority in the media we hardly hear what inuit want uh what their goals are how things are working for them and i think that's you know one of the reasons why we all have to come together and work in solidarity and help amplify each other's voices because it's mm-hmm. so important. I mean, most Canadians had no idea what the background was for any of this, that in fact, mm-hmm. the mine wanted to double its output, which would increase shipping and bring in rails and, and and you know, no question about how, what would the impact on the Inuit be? So um, thank you for raising that. And mm-hmm. are there specific things that we can do either as, you know, other indigenous activists or Canadian allies or anyone that we can do to support the Inuit? I think that we're feeling the, the, the support from other indigenous uh, communities. And just when, uh, when indigenous people are speaking up or doing things, being action oriented any anything and we are always i find i'm always empowered um to see these and and i think that's that's a great great way to like feel connected with other indigenous groups but as inuit i think that one of the things one of the bigger su- supports we need currently is to to be able to you know have our voice in in all platforms um because sometimes being a being so far from the rest of canada we are often um for not forgotten but you know just not taken the same way i guess because we are in in the north and because of our location so i think that whatever support you can give um to northern communities feel free because we we are going through a time of you know change and figuring out how we can improve our lives our our societies or you know whether it's healthcare having better access to healthcare um there's there's so much work to do but we we feel the love from other indigenous groups so i think that's that's all we need <laughs> 
Well, that's awesome. And I think if we continue to support one another and amplify each other's voices, share each other's work and make sure that all the work that we're doing is to advance those voices, because, you know, like you said, uh, Inuit voices have been ignored or not considered for many generations, um, similar to First Nations voices. But even in a modern context, uh, Inuit voices aren't um, represented as much in in things like mainstream media that Canadians would be exposed to. So hopefully mm -hmm. things like this podcast and the book that you're writing and the artistic work that you're doing and the community-based work that you're doing, all of that is going to make a huge difference. And it's, you know, it's our job to support all the work that you're doing. So Nancy, this has been an incredible conversation and just learning about you. And I'm sure we didn't even talk about a fraction of all the work that you do and all the experiences that you've had. But I'm really honored that you took the time to have this conversation with me because I know that there are going to be so many people listening to this or watching this on YouTube and be really inspired and motivated to take action and support the Inuit. So thank you so much for doing this for all of the listeners. Thank you. And thank you to all of the listeners or viewers for taking the time to learn more and to hear, to be intentional about hearing other voices. And once you know more, then you're obligated to do more because this podcast was never designed to be about entertainment. This podcast is about education, for action. So all of the different ways in which you can support all of the people that appear on this podcast and the communities they represent, we always make sure to leave links. So I'll leave a link to this amazing children's book that you can buy whether or not you have kids because you can gift it to other people. Teachers can use it. Classrooms can use it. Um, so go out there and support this amazing book and also take time to learn more. Uh, follow Nancy on Instagram. I've been showing her Instagram Instagram account up there, follow her, see what she's doing, support her work, and all of the other organizations that were mentioned here, like Paktuktik, they're doing great work. Follow them on Twitter, follow them on social media, share their reports, press governments to act on the things that uh, Paktuktik and Inuit women are saying that they want and that, that they need. And I think that'll go a long way and continue to amplify these voices. And don't forget, we have a podcast for kids. It's called Warrior Kids Podcast, where we um, engage with younger kids about all of the issues that we talk about here on the Warrior Life podcast, but at um, a warrior kid level and expose them to all different native cultures, Inuit cultures, Métis cultures, uh, north and south of the arbitrary border in Canada and the US. And you can access all of this content in one spot on my website, www.pampometer.com. Till next time, keep living a warrior life. Walaliad. Well,